Hey, Seasoners, welcome back to another episode of the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. My guest today worked for Club Med from 1987 to 1989. Her first season was in Club Med Martinique as assistant choreographer. She also worked in Copper Mountain with uh, my first chief of village, Jean-Pierre Grant. She also worked in Arzeev in Israel and Ross Soleil in Switzerland. For the last 21 years, she has been the owner of a dance studio called Real Dance, and we will talk about that as well. We have never met, but she came highly recommended from a former boss of mine and a former guest on this podcast, Angie Boucher. It turns out she went to Turks and Caicos as a GM in 1985, where she met two of my favorite people, the aforementioned Angie Boucher and Hansel Moss. Angie was having her first season as a hostess, and she suggested to my guest to give Clamette a try. After her first season, she became a chief of animation and choreographer in all her subsequent seasons. She also met her future husband in Club Med Copper Mountain, and they have been married for 32 years. Who is this mystery guest? Well, she's from Brooklyn, New York, and now lives in the Sunshine State. Please help me welcome Suzanne DiVasto. Hey, Suzanne, how are you? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? Good, good, good. And just so I, I don't make the mistake, because ever since I've seen uh, the famous Seinfeld episode, so I should address you as Suzanne and never Suze, right? <laughs> I The only one I can't wrap my head around is Susan. So there's an old <laughs> Whitney Houston song, My Name's Not Susan, and that's my theme song. <laughs> who, who sang that song? Whitney Houston. Oh, really? Yes. I, I never heard that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, you, you did get married. And so we now know you as Suzanne Divasto Citer, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, well, we'll get into how that happened. Uh, okay. Uh, when we get to the, the village, because I love I love stories like this where Geo's meet, fall in love, and are still together all these years later. So, uh, in your intro, we said that you actually uh, went to Club Med as a GM first, correct? I did. I went on vacation after a boyfriend broke up with me and broke my heart. What? <laughs> Are you serious? I'm so serious. You, now, did you know Turks and Caicos was a big, big singles village? Um, I think I might have had a little inkling about that before I left. But yeah, a few girlfriends were tired of seeing me mopey. And they said, come on, we're going on vacation. We're going to cheer you up. And boy, that was life changing. And so you left happened for a reason, you know. So you took that famous New York charter, I guess? Oh, <laughs> yes, I did. The good old New York charter. Okay. So you get there and uh, it's, it's uh, crazy how you, well, I guess you run into Angie because she's, I think, believe hostess at the time. So uh, she, if you're eating in the restaurant, you're going to bump into her, right? Yes. Angie, okay. who was always super friendly, you know, she welcomed us and we became instant friends because she's a dancer and I was a dancer. That's right. How did you get into that? Just to sidetrack a little bit. So were you dancing in New York like before? You yes, were... I danced my whole life. I started when I was about eight and I started my little neighborhood dance studio with my teacher who had her school in her garage. And luckily, you know, I was in Brooklyn, New York, which was only a subway ride away from New York City. And then I continued my training there until I couldn't take the snow and the cold weather anymore. <laughs> so I had to get out. Can I ask what kind of kind of dance you did? Yes, ballet, jazz, tap. Um, hip hop did not exist back then when I was dancing. Um, tumbling, sort of acrobatics. That's the styles that I did. Okay, and I guess you saw the shows at night when you're in Turks and Caicos. Absolutely, I thought they were 
a ton of fun. I loved, you know, the seeing the geos themselves. That was the thing that I loved most, even though I was a professional dancer at that point, loved seeing the non-professional people, the sports instructors, et cetera, getting up and putting on a show. They were great. And you also remember uh, Hansel Moss, right? The um, Who could the... forget Hansel Moss? Okay, so that's right. Who I believe was the chief of sports, right? I Was he the chief of sports then? I, maybe. Uh, yes, he was. Not. Yes. Yeah, he was. He Gosh. was. He was a chief of sports. And yeah, and Angie was there. Uh, yeah, that season as well. So that was a, you know, you're walking into a pretty legendary season. I don't know if you remember any other geos that were there. Do you besides Angie? And I know it's a long time ago. I was just curious if you remember any others that were you there. You remember Jennifer Steidel? Yes. So Jennifer was there. And Jennifer and I became really good friends. And she, side note, came with me to meet my mother, who was to be my future mother-in-law, because at that time, I didn't speak French. And Jen and I happened to be in Paris together, and I had to go meet my mother-in-law for the first time. And Jen was like, I'll go with you and I'll translate. So Jen was there for that season, too. That memory just came back to me right at this moment. How did Jennifer speak French? She learned to speak French probably how I did, which was just by working in Club Med. Oh, And I'll, I'll never forget she was on her way. We were both in Paris because she was on her way to Grego Limano, I believe, to be chief of sports. Oh, Jennifer Steidel was the chief of sports? She was. Okay. Interesting. Yep. And then she became my responsable in New York, even That's for a while. That's right. She moved to the to the office. Is that yes, point. yes. Hey. The other person I'm still friends with. Right. A great woman. So you go to Turks. This is '85, but it's still almost two full years before you start your first season in '87, Martinique. So despite Angie's, uh, I guess, <laughs> encouragement, I guess you weren't ready right away. It wasn't immediate. You know, I was still dancing and teaching in New York and performing, and I just got to that point where you know one too many slushy gross snowstorms digging my car out of three feet of snow and you remember at that time that clubman used to run those antidote for civilization commercials yes i recall them very very much yes oh yeah and that's what was that was like i i was done i couldn't do another winter in new york city and you know my Boy, like I said, my boyfriend, who I thought I was going to be with forever, broke up with me. And I said, I'm out of here. I'm going to Club Med. And, the, and I got hooked up with uh, Michelle Verdure, who ended up being my first chief. Was wait, accepting... but, but before that, where was, did you have an interview? I did in New York. Oh, really? Okay. So you went to the offices, I guess? Well, Michelle Verdure was getting ready to leave for Martinique, which he knew was going to be his last season. And he himself and his uh, wife at that time, Bianca, were conducting the interviews in New York and trying to find American geos. And he was specifically looking for someone because he knew it was their last season who was capable to help take some of the load off of his then wife, who was the choreographer. And also, lucky for me, they passed their trunks on to me when they were done. And everybody who's worked in Club Med or worked in animation knows the meaning of someone's trunks. Yes. And question, at any time in the interview, did anyone ask you 
to dance because I know you could have been BSing. So did anyone say, give me a quick ray here with a quick step over? Did anyone say that to you? Shockingly enough, no. <laughs> okay. I could have been, no, I could have had two left feet. Yes, I like me. Dance. <laughs> okay. I guess I would have figured that out once I got down there as the assistant. If I couldn't dance, it would have been a problem. Yes. You okay. know, back then, like now we've, you just go to somebody's Instagram and they've got reels of themselves dancing and their choreography, but we don't have a cell phone back then. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to carry around VHS tapes with yourself. Yeah, with a, a big, big VCR. A big, uh, yeah, bulky VCR <laughs> with dials on it. <laughs> so I guess, uh, okay. So you were there. He wanted some assistance for his wife who was a choreographer. Is that what you said? Yes. And they had a little daughter who was, you know, maybe a year or two old. And so she was, had this toddler and they really needed someone capable to take a lot, take on some of the work that season and train obviously to take that position in the future. Okay. Got it. So you've already been to club bed. You've been to a big singles village. You're going to another one, Martinique, crazy Martinique and it's heyday. What was your first impressions of that village? Well, you know what? It was the first time that I had been out of the country. I think I had been to Mexico once on vacation, but it was my first experience really living outside of the United States. And I could remember I was on that New York charter on the way down. That's how they got us down there. And it was super delayed. And we landed in the middle of the night. It was like two in the morning. And my first memory is driving on the road to the village and seeing yellow headlights. I felt like I was on another planet and just culture shock because really there was so much French being spoken around us. It was many, many French GMs, even though there were a lot of American GMs as well. It was more French than I had ever been exposed to. So it was a little bit of culture shock there in the beginning. But of course, it's one of the most beautiful villages that I think I've ever seen to this day. And it was enchanting. I fell in love with the island, the village, everything about it. I guess Martinique in 87 was basically your, your uniform was just a pario, right? For, for oh, yeah. and women, it was pario, right? Like any. Correct. Okay. Wow. Sounds, yep. like, sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> oh, it, it was heaven. I don't, it wasn't until much later that I really realized how lucky we all were. Well, yeah, you realized your next season in copper, which we'll get to, you couldn't wear your par- your pario there because it's winter. But uh, yeah, that's another odd choice. But uh, yeah, I want to stay on Martinique for a bit here because I, I did a season in Martinique and it's probably one of the most uh, beautiful resorts because you have the the, the Tour du Paul, you know, you yep. you have the cannons everywhere that Mike Coltman, uh, you know, he they found them in the sea, they brought them up and all that. So it's very, very nice, uh, very nice beach too. Yes. Uh, so did you... Do you recall the shows that you uh, had to help with? Like, uh, were there any like famous ones I might know? Like, oh yeah, we did cats. Like, oh you, oh, you did. Oh yes, absolutely. I've we- never seen cats. Do, do, do you know that? I've never seen the show. Oh. I know, I know. There's Rum Tum Tugger, but I, I have to admit, Barbara Streisand sings a very famous song from this show, right? Yes. Well, okay, you that- need to at least rent the movie, Greg. You know they made a movie out of it, right? Well, I, yeah, I heard the James Corden uh, yeah. one. Uh, and is Taylor Swift in that too? I heard yes, that one. She wasn't. Is. Okay. But she uh, is. what's that song that Barbara sings? That really Memory. Is? Oh, Memory. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, by far one of the best uh, Broadway songs I've ever heard. For sure. And, and we did, did Chorus Line, which was a lot of fun too. 
course not. Yes, and you are just so our our listeners know you're you're a big Bob Fosse fan, like Chicago, all that jazz yeah. cabaret, right? Very, very big Fosse fan, correct. So did you ever try to bring, I mean, I saw Chicago, but only later, like in 2004, 2005. Did you ever try to bring that to Club Med when you? Uh, well, you know, there was always the Cell Block Tango, which is from Chicago. So yes. that's a very big Club Med number that we used to do, but never a Fosse inspired show in its entirety. That's really complex work. And it would have been a little bit of an undertaking to try and do it in Club Med, unless you had a team of really tra trained dancers, which believe it or not, now that I've been going to Club Med as a GM, I've seen so many GOs with actual dance training. Dance has really become popular to study and lots of kids grow up dancing now. So I think it's a little easier, but back then, no, never any Fosse. Since you were a choreographer and like I had, you know, I might have liked to dance, but I hated rehearsal. But I was wondering if any GOs tried tricks, like since they knew you were choreographer and whatnot, did they ever try to pretend that they didn't know how to dance in front of you, like trip over <laughs> you whenever you were, I don't know, say freestyling on in the disco? Did any, That's did funny. They, did no, they because <laughs> let me tell you something that I prided myself in, and I credit Bianca Verdura with this ethic. We never ran a rehearsal past, believe it or not, midnight. What? And Martinique, Never. even in Martinique, even in Martinique, we were wow. so efficient and so respectful of people's time. Wow. That to this day, friends who I worked with, who, who did my shows always said, Suzanne, I never hesitated to commit because I knew you wouldn't keep me in that theater till 2 a.m. when I had to get up. You know, Martinique was a scuba village. Then you had Copper Mountain, Rossole. Those are ski villages. Those instructors have to be up super early. Their jobs are really physically taxing. And because I respected that, I made sure I, I was, a I am a, a, you know, not to pin medals on myself, but I'm a really good teacher. I knew I was really prepared for rehearsal and those rehearsals were always super efficient. If everybody was like on time, quiet and ready to learn, they'd be in and out in an hour and a half. Wow. Will you marry me? Where were you when I was in where were you when I was in Club Ed? Okay. Because well, that, it's true. I would hear all the horror stories of people being oh, up yes. for hours. And, and, and isn't it crazy? Because some shows you're asked to learn intricate dance steps and you might not be a dancer, you know, past midnight after you've had like a you know 14 hour day. It, it it's it's insane if you think about it, right? Like yeah. no, other, no other dancers in the world say you to start at midnight. Okay. It's true. Uh, and I never wanted to be that choreographer that people were like hiding from when you walked into the restaurant, like averting your gaze because they didn't yes. want you to ask anything. And yeah. so because I and I would meet people, at, you know, after lunch or if they had time during the day, if they needed, if I really wanted to have them participate to make that was the beauty of, of having that um, animation schedule is we didn't have set hours like where GMs are going to show up from noon to two. So you had to be there. So I would mold my schedule around theirs. And when can you rehearse? I'll meet you. You'll learn it at two in the afternoon. And so wow. that's how I got people to do the shows because it wasn't a drudgery that went carried on for hours and hours and hours. And did you ever do that show with the, uh, God, I can't remember it with the rollerblades. Um uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Starlight Express? Yes. Did you ever do that one? No, we did not. Okay. <laughs> I've heard Geo's sounds rape, like rape. an insurance nightmare to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Put all these 
left-footed geos on rollerblades yeah, and, and then jump into the audience. Okay. Oh, no. And there was we, no circus there either. So we didn't have any of that stuff in the, in the shows, which they incorporate a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because that that's one of the most, I guess, no, it's probably the smallest stage I've ever seen in Club Med. Like, uh, I'm sure it was the same in 87. I, I was there in like 97 and it was, it was pretty small, right? And you're very yes. low to the ground, right? But we used the, the proscenium in front. If you remember, it's like a three or four foot step down. And then you had like the dance floor, basically. Yes. We use that a lot. Oh, okay. I see. To, to, you know, so that there were more room for the performers. Because when we did Cats, I mean, there were 30 people in the show. So we needed the space. So we did that a lot. And how long was your season in Martinique, your first season? Was it six months? Yes, that was back in the day, the six-month contracts. Okay. But now I got there in April and I was home by Halloween. Yeah, and it's getting cold again in New York. So... Now, here's here's the curious part. So you go to Copper. You just said you wanted to escape winter. That's why you went to Club Med. So now Glad you find it. Now, were you requested <laughs> to go there because you became a chief of animation slash choreographer? So so was that the deal? They said, hey, uh, Suzanne will promote you, but you have to go to Copper. Oh, Lord, this is such a this story gives me PTSD to this day. Well, OK, well, I don't want to I don't want you to say anything <laughs> you don't want to say, but so Michel Verdure calls me into his office and he's like, I have great news. Guess where you're going? Because this was back in the day of the telex. You know, they'd get a telex in the office with your village assignment. He said, you're going to Copper Mountain. And I said, no, no, I'm not. Don't send me there. And he's like, what do you mean? Because a lot of my friends from that season were going too, and they were so excited to go. And to me, it's like, you might as well be telling me you are sending me to Siberia because I hated cold weather. I hated snow. And as a dancer, I had never skied before. We were always taught, you know, don't go skiing. You'll break your leg, whatever. And I just sobbed and I tried everything to get out of going there. I wrote letters to New York begging, please don't send me to Copper Mountain. And Michelle was like, Suzanne, listen, you know, that's an American contract. There aren't a lot of American choreographers. You kind of don't have a choice. It's only your second season. Like you don't get to pick and choose. But I tried everything. Like I was always the person that did not take no for an answer. So that I had no choice. I had to pack up my bags and pack up those dumb winter clothes again and go out to Copper Mountain. Yes, you're there for the uh, 87-88 season. Yes. Uh, you're with Jean-Pierre Grand, who was my first uh, chief of village. Yes, and... that was his first season as chief of village as well. Oh, oh, was it? Yes. Okay, all right. And what? what so what's what, what's it like? I, I know, obviously, like, I don't like snow either. I'm from Montreal, so I'm totally with you. <laughs> Despite that, you, like you said, you have some friends there. So what was, yeah, Jean -Pierre, so what was, Jean, was Jean-Pierre like? Was he big into animation? He really did enjoy animation. He did a lot of this uh, cabaret shows, sketches, things like that. Um, I tried to work really hard for him because I knew as a first season chief of village, a lot of your, you know, they really look at those scores, those notes. Tried my hardest to get really good animation notes for him. Um, but it was, it's a, Colorado's beautiful. I mean, I, I, tried to look at the upside. I was with a lot of my Martinique friends who I love dearly. Um, and Colorado itself was just beautiful. And if you are going to have to be in a place where you have to learn how to ski, that was a good place to be. Yes. Yeah. And what, what it was, was it like 
So was it, was it hard being chief of animation and choreographer, like juggling the two? No, I, I'm a really sort of organized, methodical person. And I found at least if I had a good team and everybody did what they needed to do when they needed to do it, we kind of operated really smoothly. Um, and, you know, those ski villages, there's kind of literally no one in the hotel all day long. So I had all day long to get costumes set up and props done and things that needed to be done for the shows at night. And because there's no one in the hotel all day long, there isn't a whole lot of animation during the day other than like passage when you're going to give out schnapps or things like that. That's usually organized by the animation team. But it's not like in a summer village where there's coffee games and trivia and all of that stuff happening. So it wasn't too bad. bad. Okay. Now, this is the season we said in your intro where you meet your future husband. What kind of of geo was he? What, what, What job was he doing? He was the chief of mini club. And my friend Shelly, who was the chief of boutique, I um, Before I met him, she said, oh, Suzanne, the chief of mini club and I were together in Eleuthera last season and he sings. So I'm sure you're going to want to use him in your shows. He really likes being on stage. It's going to be great. At least, you know, you've got the chief of mini club, you know, and I said, OK, great, Shelly, no problem. This sounds good. For a minute there, I thought she said we were together. I thought. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, okay. they were friends, <laughs> but you know, they just would sing in the shows together because she liked to sing as well. And so the day he arrives, she introduced him to me. And you know those cartoons when you have like <laughs> the hearts floating around your head? <laughs> you know? Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And so I was like, wow, you know, he's so cute. And, and he really was, I thought he was adorable. And of course he wound up being in a lot of my shows, but we started, I guess, I don't know if you, in Club Med, if you call it dating. <laughs> yeah, we no, yeah. It's hanging yeah, it's around true. together. Yeah. So, how, so you were in couple at one point. We, That's there the, you fav- go. the favorite we term, right? Okay. We okay. were in couple. And um, yeah, so at, had I gotten my way when I asked not to go to Copper Mountain, we never would have met. So yes. it was one of those things that was meant to be to this day. You know, I, I teach a lot of, we have a lot of high school kids and a lot of high school kids get their hearts set on, for example, going to a certain university and then they don't get in. And I always tell them my Copper Mountain story. And I say, you know, the universe has a plan for you. Go with that plan. Let the universe lead you where you're supposed to be and everything will work out. And that is exactly what happened with Pascal and I. Yes, but then their rich mother pays someone to get them. And get it. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, okay. Uh, oh, Pascal. So Pascal's name, is he from France? He's from Paris. Yes. Paris. Okay. And he spoke, I guess his English was was very good when you met him. Yes. His English, he had just learned, believe it or not, how to speak English from being that whole season in Eleuthera. Okay. And did he did he start before you? Like, uh, So he did Eleuthera, oh. then Copper, but how... Pascal did a total of 10 years, 20 seasons in Club Med. He was oh, wow. much more season than I was. Okay. And since then, I assume you guys have had time to talk. So did he have the um, the butterflies and the, you know, like in the cartoon and the, the, the heart? Did he? <laughs> I don't know. It's oh, funny. Okay. <laughs> I want to believe he did. Okay. I hope he did. Yes. <laughs> he was just playing it cool, right? Okay. Yes. 
<laughs> so funny. Right. So uh, what else can you tell me about copper? Copper, you know, we I had a great time. Uh, it, obviously, I still didn't really fall in love with skiing. Like if I never skied again in my entire life, I would not cry about it. Um, and it, but it was a beautiful place. Met a lot of great people. Still keep in touch with them to this day. Um, glad I did it. I would love to go back to maybe like in the summertime to that area. <laughs> I don't need to. I don't know what it is now. I don't, I think. I don't know if Club Med is still, if they turned it into a hotel resort, what it is, but I wonder what it looks like. Um, but I, I did. I had a good, I had a good time. I had a lot of fun. Are there any other geos that worked with you there? We might know. Oh boy. You know, those ski instructors mm -hmm. that worked in Copper Mountain, they had been there from, you know, they would return every year. There was our chief of ski. His son went on to become a, a champion French uh, ski on the French ski team. Yes, gold, yeah. I believe he won the gold medal. Yeah, I heard this story. Yeah, I can't I can't remember the name, but yes, uh, someone had told me this story. You're right. Yes. Yeah. So there were some great, great geos there that season. And a lot of them, you know, the ones, especially the ones I started with in Martinique and then we went together in Copper Mountain, we still keep in touch to this day. I always say I didn't go to college. I went to Club Med. My That's Club right. Med friends are like my people <laughs> that they meet in college and we're in the dorms with. You know, that's how I felt about my Club Med friends. Okay. So your next season, you go to uh, Israel. Oh, yeah. My so that's a places. really interesting story. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering how, how that happens. Uh, well, this by is accident. So how do you, how do you, how does Arziv get proposed to you? Well, through my procrastination with picking a village. So Pascal and I, you know, now it's only my second season and you're not really in a position yet to be asking to go get sent to a village with your boyfriend. So Pascal goes back to Paris after his season ended and he is, they propose to him Coral Beach. But in the interim, I had waited a long time for my assignment because they kept asking, like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And I kind of I remember not wanting to say, I want to be with my boyfriend. Just send me wherever he is. And I just kind of procrastinated. I was like, I don't really know. I'm still thinking, like, give me some time because I had done a good job. And I know that Jean-Pierre wanted to help me out in getting to go where I wanted to go, especially since he knew I hated being in the snow. So I just procrastinated, procrastinated. So I finally called the New York office. They go, Suzanne, look, you've waited so long. There is basically nothing left. The only place there is left to send you is this little hut village in Israel called Arziv. And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> because Pascal had been assigned to Coral Beach. And we were at least going to be in the same country which was huge because had Pascal been in Coral Beach and I was like sent to Ixtapa, I don't know if we ever would have seen each other again. You know how that goes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I went to Arzeev and, and everybody was like, are you sure you want to go there? Because Arzeev is a very particular village. Yes, um, it's no frills, right? <laughs> no frills. I was lucky because as a chief of service, I actually had electricity in my CAS, in my hut. 
Um, and everybody was like, are you, are you sure you want to go to RZ? Like, you know the deal there, right? It's only Israeli GMs. There is no American GMs or French GMs that go there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm good. I want to go. And I was, you know, pretty adventurous at this time. So I got to go to Arzeev with only one other American, Kenton Smith. He was the chief of sports. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Wow. And it was at that village that I learned how to speak French. Huh? How? I was the only, Tutun was my chief of village. And I was, Kenton and I were the only Americans. So I was surrounded by French 24-7 and had to conduct rehearsals in French. I would sit in chief of service meetings and have no idea what was going on because I didn't speak a word of French. So I just planted myself next to somebody who spoke the language and just be like, what did she say? What does that mean? How do you say this? How do you say that? And it was truly getting thrown into the deep end of the pool when it comes to learning a language. I, to this day, will say that's the best way to learn. You can sit in a classroom, you know, forever but there's nothing like being given is no choice and i was given no choice i learned i'm wondering if you got along with the um israeli gms because so i've i've worked with both new yorkers and israelis and you're both <laughs> you're both very tough okay like well that would I mean, help me get if, along yes. <laughs> yeah, because you know? they respect uh, toughness. If, if you do. let them walk all over you, then they won't respect you. So Correct. I was just cu curious how you, uh, how you, how you fared there. And there's a lot of Israelis in New York, so I wasn't totally unprepared. And I could be equally as, you know, Israelis. Once you understand why they are the way they are, yes, and how, you it changes everything. Yes. And they are fiercely loyal friends. Yes. They were the most involved GMs. One thing I remember about that village, 45 minutes of crazy signs. And they Oof. would want to do more. Oh, God. It wasn't enough. They would <laughs> want more. And you know me. I was like, I got a rehearsal start, people. Can we just wrap it up? You know. Um, but that was, as a chief of animation, one thing that made it so great is you if you were doing bar games, if you were doing a GM show, you would have no not enough room for all the people that wanted to participate, as opposed to other villages where you're like begging people like, please be in my number in the GM show. You know, I, I only have three people. Israelis were all about it. So for me, it was far more positive than negative because when the negative arose, if there was a little bit of pushiness, I would with like sort of a sense of humor push back a little bit and they got a kick out of that. So I always got along with them. Also, you know? um, I'm just curious, like how, you know, how when you work on a cruise ship or the club at one, you have these routine uh, security and safety drills. So Arziv uh, is the only club at village with a bomb shelter. So do they yeah. like take in take you and show you okay here's where you go when stuff happens like when you arrive. not at that time it was before anything ever happened there Although oh really I, yeah. okay so 88 they didn't they did not have a shelter yet not yet and i had a okay. terrifying experience however flying to visit pascal when i was in arziv going to visit him you know you're going through security they ask you all the questions you know did you pack your bag yourself did anybody give you anything to take with you did you know all the questions no 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 then I realize, like, I'm the only person with an American passport getting on this plane. I get flagged for a random search. 
So I had a little carry-on and they're searching my carry-on and they come out with this envelope. And I'd forgotten that a friend of mine had a friend in Coral Beach that she wanted me to give a letter to. And they said, what's this? I said, oh, that's just a letter. My friend has a friend there. She asked me to give this letter. Get in the back. Now, understand, Greg, at the time I was like 23 years old. And yes, I grew up in New York City, you know, riding the subways in the late 70s, early 80s before it was safe. Like I was pretty tough, but I, in my life, and I said, I, I don't understand. They said, you said no one gave you anything to bring with you. And I was like, but it's a letter. It's not a, it's not a package. And they said, it doesn't matter. And so they started the questioning all over again. And they brought in several different people. And I was, they knew, like I, they, I said, I'm a geo. I'm on my way to Elat, Coral Beach. The only thing that saved me was they wound up calling the village, calling Elat. And getting their chief of security on the phone, who happened to have been the person who flew me there in his little plane, that's another story, <laughs> knew who I was and said, she's fine, let her on the plane, it's okay. And I, I was so distraught by the time I got on the plane. They, they actually said, listen, we're sorry we had to put you through this. When I got to Israel before my season started, I went directly to Coral Beach to see Pascal first. Mm -hmm. And Tutun came, this was wild, Tutun came with his friend who happened to be a former officer in the Israeli army and a pilot. And they flew me in the four-seater plane from Coral Beach to Arziv. That was my ride to my village. And it was this guy who was able to get me cleared and get me on that plane that day. I wish I could remember his name because he was like a, a guardian angel. And it's not a long plane ride, like from, I mean, no, anywhere. No. You, could, you could travel the country and by plane in less than an hour, I believe, and uh, yes. even dri I, drive. Yeah. That day I decided I never needed to fly a plane in a plane again where you could actually see how much fuel is left. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. not something I want to try again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What an experience. Oh, All yeah. Right. Uh, for some reason, even after spending time in the desert, you decide, you know what? I want to see snow again. I don't know why. So you go to uh, Roissolet <laughs> in Switzerland, but I'm sure you have a story. Like, I'm sure you tried to get out of it. Is this the thing where you procrastinated again? Well, that no. Was the only so thing left? <laughs> okay. At the end, it's funny because Pascal's chief was Pierrot Chicrila. Do you remember him? No, I've they, never heard this name before. They used to call him Le Tendresse because he was so kind and so nice. He was a wonderful... Pascal had a great, great season that season. He was with Elie Cacou, who the French will know is a very, very... Who went, he went on after Clement to become a very famous French comedian. He's since passed on, but he was one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. And we both did great seasons. When it's funny when Tutun picked me up, he told me at the end of the season, he said, when I came to get you to fly you to RZ that day, Pierrot and I looked at you and Pascal saying goodbye to each other, sobbing your eyes out. We both looked at each other and said, we better have a backup plan because these two are never going to last. So we both did great seasons. We worked really, really hard. And at the end of the season, don't ask me why, Pascal. I, I asked Pascal, well, where do you want to go? And he's like, well, I've never been to Rossole. I've never been to Samaritz. I'd really like to go there. And, you know, at that point when you're so in love, like you don't care, I was like, okay, honey, I'll go wherever you want to go. 
And so they, they both, we both literally had our choice. We did such a good season. Both of us worked so hard. They literally gave us our choice of anywhere in the world we wanted to go. And that's where we chose. And your boyfriend wanted to go to the snow. And he wanted to go to the okay. Yes. We go to a season of winter where there was barely any snow. It was like ice and rocks. and like the worst snowing conditions you could ever imagine. That's where we Really? Okay. Oh, was it, it was, was a it, bad winter for snow. Was it was the resort swanky? I've never really I've never been there. Was it swanky because of Switzerland? Like how well, was that? But you know, the area is very swanky. Yes. The, the hotel itself back then, I remember everything being super old. It's still there. It, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's a club anymore. It is Pontresina. It, there's a couple of hotels that are like close to each other in that area. And, uh, but it was very swanky. I mean, Switzerland, all of Switzerland, if you ask me in comparison to so many other places is swanky. I mean, you could eat off the floor of the Zurich train station for God's sake. And San Moritz was, it was like a picture book. Beautiful, beautiful place. I just there skied even less than I did in Copper Mountain, which I didn't think would be possible. But when there's no snow, you're not putting me on the slopes. <laughs> and uh, Gitoma is your chief of village? Yes, Gitoma. So what, what's the season like? Well, we, I actually that season, Stefan Rona was... I was kind of demoted, which was fine with me. I didn't care to just choreographer. I didn't have to be chief of animation because Stefan Rona was training, I believe, to be chief of village. So he had the chief of animation position. And so that's um, was Guy was very famous singer, Alain Delon, that he loved. And Guy would do a one man show singing all of that music. Okay. Did you know that about him? No, I did not. And that kind of takes the pressure off you that night, right? Yeah. We had one night a week where it was okay. his show, one man show. It was like, sounds good to me. Did he ever so, do a, did he ever sing with your, your boyfriend, Pascal at all? Or no? I did. We used to sing duets every so often. Which you was did? Awesome. What, what did oh, you yeah. sing? What songs did you sing? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. I think we used to do a version of My Way where he would sing a line and I would sing a line and somewhere some i think i have video of this someplace back in the day you know video cameras back then were like super expensive so isn't a lot of video but yeah, I think right I and right video. now you wouldn't you know because it's analog you wouldn't because uh, even my my old videos are all analog and you know when you look on youtube now you can barely you know they're pretty grainy right they yeah they're <laughs> terrible we it's funny because pesco was big on lip sync and i my claim you want to know what my claim to fame is in club med sure I was the very first person who ever did, and I am telling you, I'm not going as a lip sync. Oh, okay. Uh, what show, show is that? What's that? What show is that from again? Dream <laughs> Girls. Okay. That was my big claim to fame because we used to do the lip sync contest, and so I said to Michelle Verdure one night, "Like, I'd like to try this new lip sync." He's like, "Sure, go ahead, whatever you want to do." And so I did it, and they put me in the second position, which I was so mad about. You know, they always put the junky stuff in the beginning. And I was like, I'll show them. And I did it, and I won. And for that, the rest of the season, I was at the close of that show for the whole season. <laughs> and then Angie went on to do it. It hasn't, I, you know. Yeah, it got passed down, right? Uh, yeah, well, 
since that since you were the one that first started that number because i remember my first season the 94 i saw sean and johnson do that on stage so it's kind of it's this is like a full circle moment no and i did not know that you were the one that brought it to um clement now like you, you you're from new york so did you before clement did you see or watch a lot of broadway shows were you going to I did as much as I could. At the time, I was a student, so I couldn't always afford to see a lot of shows. Okay. Obviously, I had seen Cats. I had seen Chorus Line, the shows that we did. But now, you know, my guilty pleasure is I fly up to New York like twice a year and I binge watch Broadway. I'll go up for four days and I'll watch six shows. But back then, I mean, who had the money to do that? You know, I was a kid. So I okay, didn't but, get but- to see it. But you saw a chorus line in the late 80s then, right? Yes, I did. That was one okay. of the beginning of getting to go see things. I saw that. Okay. So as a former choreographer, I know you're a big, you love the show Hamilton, right? Oh, I've seen it eight times. Do you think that would work in Club Ed or no? It's just it's too heavy on um I, I think, rap, it, right? well, first of all, it would have to be heavily, first of all, you'd have to get the rights to it. That's number one. Second of all, it would have to be heavily, heavily edited because it's a long show. And in Club Med, you have to take things down from sometimes two and a half, three hours to 45 minutes. If you had a really great edit, it probably could, you know, and especially the French can, you know, the whole Lafayette story and, you know, it, it it could be done. It would be quite a project. I would not want to have to do that, though. That would be okay. okay. That would not be something I would under yep. undertake. Be more geos avoiding you in the discotheque. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. So Russell is your last season. So now I don't know. I don't. I don't know if this is a conundrum. Do you? Where do you? Since he's from France and you're from New York, where do you guys go? Well, I, so at the end of that season, this is the big sacrifice I made for my the love of my life. Uh, they proposed me to go to Bali. Ooh. Yeah. And I was just, I, you know, everyone's at that time, I don't know so much now, but back then everyone's dream was to go to Bali. And Pascal said, look, if you want to go to Bali, go, I can't do another. He was done. You know, he had done it for 10 years and he was getting to that point where he knew like, I better get out there and start an actual career. I can't think, I don't want to stay in Club Med forever. So I have to get started in some other industry and in some other company. And so I said, okay. And we wound up choosing to go to New York. And the only reason why we did that is because Pascal was able to read and write in English. And though I was able to speak French, I couldn't read and write in French. I still can't write in French. It looks like a preschooler is writing, but so we it brought us to New York because we knew that he would be able to get better employment in New York than I would be able to get in Paris. And that's okay. where we ended up, Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And in the, your intro, I mentioned that uh, if we can just, we'll just shift from Clement for a second and go back to Clement. So you've been the owner of a dance studio called Real Dance for 21 years. What's that like? Well, I love what I do. I have about 200 kids. I'm in my neighborhood. I could literally walk to my studio from my house. And it's, we are the neighborhood dance school, you know, lots of kids and they stay all the way till they graduate high school. They wind up spending sometimes more time with us than they do their own parents. Um, And I love it. I always say, if I hit the lottery tomorrow, I don't think I would change that. Okay. Do you ever um like I I I um I never watched 
the show Dance Moms. And obviously oh, I know your studio's not like that, but I'm just curious, like, do you ever see like uh, anyone in your class, like a Maddie Ziegler? So uh, can you spot that immediately? Yes. Okay. So you've had students where you went up. Oh, okay. You absolutely. You know, you, okay. And do you, do you approach them and tell them something or? We encourage them. You know, it's really important for kids to discover that love on their own. You never want to force that down anybody's throat. I will go to the parent and say, listen, your child's extraordinarily talented. I, I don't, it doesn't happen. It's few and far between. So that the okay. parent does know that. And because I don't, I am not a big sales person. I'm not trying to sell them more lessons or whatever. They know that about me. So for me to go to somebody and say, this is really truly what your child is born to do. So if you decided that that path is where they should go, you would not be uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be an unreasonable thing. There's, But then you've got kids who progress much slower, who maybe didn't start off as looking like they'd be able to be a dancer one day, but they loved it so much and they worked so hard. You know, hard work beats talent every day of the week. And I've been pleasantly surprised by kids that way too. You never underestimate anybody. You know, you never know who's going to really take to it and grow a love for it and really want to make a career out of it. Do you have a favorite dance movie? My favorite dance movie. There's a lot of them. Well, I'm going to make the case. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to mention one. It's come up before, and hopefully, my uh, ex girlfriend, who's a choreographer, is not going to roll her eyes again. I'm going to make the case for Center Stage. The movie came out in 2000. Have oh you my seen God. Center Stage? That's a good one. That scene with the red point shoes. That's that's quite a. Yes. I mean, the core, yeah, the number, the choreography and everything, like even when they were doing that dance studio number uh, where Cooper Nielsen, whatever goes to, you know, they want to, they want to get away from ballet for a moment. Yeah. So they do that jazz, jazz class or whatever. So did you, did you like this movie? I, I did, but it's not in my top 10 favorites. I would have to say like, I, you know, you can't just give me one. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to put, you're going to put Chicago in there then. As of course, of your... Chicago. I okay. have a couple of really good friends in that movie. So it has a very, really? my heart. Oh yes. Okay. Good friends, Marianne Lamps, Scott Fowler, they're dancers, Fosse dancers who were lucky enough to be in the film. I love the old school Gene Kelly singing in the rain. You know, it's one mm -hmm. of my all-time favorite dance movies. But recently, did you see the In the Heights movie? Oh no, not yet. No, but is that is that is that heavy on dance? It's I, an excellent dance movie. Okay, I thought I thought it was going to be more on singing. So there is so, so there is dance in there. There's some really good dance. There's the okay. Jerome Robbins West Side Story. It's really you asked me one of the hardest questions you can ask. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't <I'm sorry>. pick <laughs> one. <laughs> okay, I'll ask you. I'll ask you. I'll ask you an easy one. Okay. This has also come up. Can you explain why, um, even though I tried to avoid uh, choreographers, like the whole time in Clamette, I was still drawn to them. Like I had a thing for almost every choreographer in every village I worked at. Yeah. So why, why is that? What is it about well, you guys? We just have a little <laughs> magic, you know, we got I, the I, it factor. I, I try to run away from you, yet I'm drawn <laughs> to you. So I was, it was this ugh, constant you know hugging. Turn on the charm and all <laughs> that. What can I say? Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> well, I'm not saying any, anything you haven't heard. Like you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you're, you're nodding silent to your silently to yourself. Okay. <laughs> when people ask me, you know, what kind of dance do you teach? It depends on like the, the tone of voice. They ask that question. I'm like, not that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, Suzanne, uh, let me ask you a question because uh, I'm just because I mentioned dance bombs. I'm not saying you're a dance bomb. Okay. <laughs> you're no Abby Lee Miller. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, did you do you have kids? We do. Pascal and I have a daughter named Nina who's 23. And did she does she dance? She hated every minute of dance and okay. was asked to quit every week. Okay. <laughs> of course, of course, that's how it would turn out, right? Of okay. course. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, is she going to school at a university or is she finished? Nina is a graduate of the University of South Florida. Oh, she wow. was a, yeah, marketing major, although Pascal and I really, really hope one day that she will go and do a few seasons in Club Med, because to me, that was the best education I ever got and that he ever got. And we want her to experience that, live with people from different cultures and hopefully get better speaking French. Um, but I hope she decides to do it one day. And you can give her tips on how to avoid the choreographer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when people didn't want to do stuff, I would find, okay, how about you run the spotlight? Will you at least do that for me? Or you dress up like Superman at the entrance of the restaurant. Like there's always something people can do. Oh, God, I wish I was in your time. Okay. <laughs> I never got off that easy. <laughs> you were probably very talented, Greg. So they just uh, couldn't your talent. Not on, not on the dance floor. Okay. But, I, <laughs> yeah, but after 10 years, sure, I did get better. Like I could yeah, remember. Yeah. And I, I slowly moved away from the curtain towards the front. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was tall too, right? So the tall guy has to go at the back. Also. Go in the back. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay there for 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Did, did anyone ever uh, play practical jokes on you during shows? Like, did, uh, oh, was, God. Did any, anyone ever, <laughs> you like, you know, you've been doing the show four months, you got two mm -hmm. months that, you know, people knew it down pat. Did anyone ever like throw a monkey wrench in there? Or, well, um, I would always, you know, especially toward the end of the season, that's when people would start to get really slap happy and do crazy things. Yeah. And I remember that one of the funniest things we had a really, I don't know, a decorator who was a bit of a mess in Martinique and our DJ, you know, at the end of the show, when everybody has to come out and take bows. Yes. The DJ, when they introduced the animation team and said he would always normally be dressed in his clothes to get ready to go DJ. And instead he came out dressed as the decorator, which was just this really Everybody knew exactly who he was imitating just by the way he tied his perio and the cigarette hanging out of his mouth and crazy things like that. You know, blacking out teeth during a serious, you know, like memory and cats and the teeth are blacked out, like all, all kinds of crazy. It always would go on at the end, though. That's when people would try to get all the practical jokes in. Um. Did you did you have a favorite show that you did in Clement that you that was I guess special I for have you? To say, or... I mean, it might not be the cool answer, but Cats mm -hmm. will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, and, you I... know, it's funny when I run into Geos now that I worked with, they will say the same thing. They'll say, "I just loved doing Cats and all that makeup we used to put on, and it was so fun." And people really liked it. Okay, I guess I guess it's like right down the middle, right? Like I, I, I never saw it or, or had to do it, but I, because you just mentioned a, a lot of that makeup and the silliness of dressing up like a cat. Like, I don't think, I, I, th I think that's two extremes, right? People either really, really love it or they don't like it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Did, uh, since uh, we haven't talked crazy signs, did you have a favorite crazy sign? These are rapid fire. It's rapid okay fire if you don't, if you don't, holiday okay if you don't have a I loved, okay. I loved the holiday wrap. And there was oh, one that you oh, yeah. to do um, the Bon Franquette. 
Oh God, you like that one? Well, it used to go on forever and ever. Yes, and it was always on Elegant Night where it's sweltering in our Eve and the chief wants to do it again one more time. But, you know, Tutun used to do it and he used to have such a good time doing it that you couldn't kind of help but have a good time. But I want to say first place is definitely Holiday Rap. Okay. All right. Did you, uh, I don't know if this question is hard. Did you have a favorite season or magical season, quote unquote, magical, uh, magical, yeah, maybe because it, it was your first one because it was your yes. first season. What, Despite the fact that I met Pascal season two and we were together ever since then mm-hmm. season one, there will, I don't know that there will ever be anything like it. We were a small group of Americans among a mostly French team. We bonded really closely we were all first season geos and you know, those are still my friends to this day. I don't know if I, I know Sharon Lee and Angie. Yeah, and, and you were with Steve McLean there, weren't yes, you? Steve McLean. Steve, uh, Steve Waterski or yes, Waterski, as he used to say. <laughs> we all had a reunion last year because, you know, we were, well, the 30th reunion, I think would have fell during COVID or 35th, whatever, but we, we met at Martinique. We went on vacation together with our spouses and it was just, I don't think my favorite oh, i'm sorry can you repeat that last part uh you drifted away there can you repeat that last part sorry the, the that will always be my favorite uh yes yeah, and if i recall from steve uh steve's interview i believe you guys yeah you organized a trip with uh your, your spouses came and you all went back to martinique correct we did we went last year to martinique it was so special and it was like no time had passed we were back to we were acting like our same jerky twenty three year old selves again too, which is funny. Except now <laughs> you were doing it in a pool that didn't exist there yeah, before. Really, right? it's okay. true. <laughs> <laughs> and we're planning on hopefully trying to do this like every other year, just us, uh, just the Martinique Geos. That's how close we were and continue to be. Oh, okay, that's um, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been so great talking to you. But before I let you go, uh. Did I forget anything to ask you or is there something you wanted to I say? I think you got it all, Greg. You did a pretty okay. comprehensive. I can tell you've done this a few times. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little over two and a half years. but uh, Yeah, yeah. You're getting good for, at it. Huh? Uh, thanks. Thanks for saying yes, right? Because if you said no, well, hey. There you go. <laughs> we wouldn't have a, there wouldn't be a podcast without guests like you. So thanks. Thanks for saying yes. And I enjoy listening to your podcast. It brings me back. It brings back so many great memories. I love hearing other people's Club Med stories. So thank you for doing this. And I hope oh, you keep it up. I will. I will. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And thanks uh, so much for sharing your story with us here today. Sure. Well, everyone, that was Suzanne Divasto-Citer. Okay. Alors, uh, tu parles bien le français, non, Suzanne? Je parle français. Oh. Mais... Je pratique pas. J'ai okay. le, 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 le vocabulaire un peu. Oh, you have a very nice accent. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Would you like to take us away and say goodbye to all our listeners? Everybody, I hope you're all out there doing, living your best life, still visiting Club Med. Let's all go back and support Club Med because we wanted to stay in business so that it's there for years to come with our kids and grandkids. Stay happy, stay healthy, and thanks for listening. Wow, could have done it better myself. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And we will see you all next week with another installment of my first season. Bye.